Greetings, church. It is the last Sunday of Advent, so it is all Christmas music all the time. Buckle up. Here we go. Let's praise the Lord.
Well, welcome to another ABF online service. And 2020, whoo, it's been a year, the ups and downs. We kind of have a, an announcement for you. Maybe you've already heard this. We have decided we're going to be canceling our December 20th and 27th services, as well as our Christmas Eve. Yeah, this was a difficult decision that our elders had to make, and it is out of an abundance of caution, just due to the spike in the COVID cases and with the hospitalizations, just hospitals are at max capacity. And so we will not be meeting for the next two weeks. I know this is a huge disappointment for our church staff and our church family. And right now we are actually in the process of creating an online Christmas Eve service for you and your family to view together at home. And kids, uh, I'm so sorry about the Nativity Petting Zoo, but I did call and we're gonna plan on rescheduling that sometime in January. We've gotta see Humphrey, don't we? Love that camel. Hopefully many of you have been able to see our Christmas outreach video. We're excited for you to be able to pass that to your friends and family and to share it on your Instagram or Facebook. Um, you can find it on our ABF YouTube page uh, on our channel there and make sure you watch it and share it on your own social media. And just this is a way for you to reach out to someone who needs to hear about the hope of Jesus this Christmas season. Well, we are so thankful for all of you in your response to our year-end giving. And we're excited to see the potential of being able to support our missionaries that are abroad and the possibility of building a playground on our campus. If you haven't already noticed, our campus has become a community center for so many people in our neighborhood. They stop on by here and they are using this facility, our facility, as a place to meet and gather. So we would love to be able to draw more families in to hear about Jesus Christ on our campus. Easy ways to give are online or mailing in a check. 
And last but not least, one of the ways that we like to keep in touch with you is through texting 97000. And this is a way that you can share your prayer requests with us and let us know what's going on in your lives so we as a staff team can be praying for you. Well, back by popular demand, here is Josh and Chris with the Christmas food delivery video Christmas edition. Have fun with this. Merry Christmas, everybody. Yo, what's up, everybody? What's up, church? Hey, Merry so, Christmas. Merry Christmas. We are doing a food delivery video, and we're doing something a little different today. Uh, we thought that we would dress up as one of our favorite Christmas characters uh, outside of Jesus. Right, like, of course. The diaper thing would have been weird because uh, he's a baby. Yep. Uh, so we dressed up as one of our favorite characters, and we're doing a little reveal. We have no idea what the other person is dressed up as. Not a clue. So, uh, Chris, you want to give me a hint? Just like one word. Yeah, one word. Okay, so uh, Christmas. That's a terrible... Okay, I'll give you another one. Red. Red? Red. Red. My initial, my thought goes to uh, red nose, like a Rudolph okay. type of thing. All right. That's where my, that's where my brain goes originally. Okay, okay. cool. Your right. clue is, and I apologize for this, parents. Uh, my clue is pooper. Uh, ooh. <laughs> uh, pooper, okay. Uh... Cooper, Scooper, uh, no, that's, wow, that's a really good clue, and I'm kind of, I'm a little, I'm a little, like, you're, you're stumped, aren't you? Stumped. Should we do a reveal? Just don't throw poop at me. I, uh, yeah. Okay, here we go. Yeah. On your mark, three, two, two one. one. <laughs> oh, yes! Oh, that's awesome! <laughs> Woo! Santa, you look good! Cousin Eddie here, Santa, about to go do a food delivery. We'll catch you soon. We're delivering the more, so we're just on a nice little walk. We're just gonna take it easy, get out, let these things breathe a little bit. How are you doing there, Santa? I'm good. I actually feel like Santa delivering gifts. So yeah, it's kind of fitting. People are looking at me weird though. I feel comfy though. Okay, we are here. We are going to deliver the food to the moors. Yes, we are. Ho, 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 ho. Merry Christmas. Josh is around here somewhere. Oh, there he is. Hey, there he is. Full. Yes. Can you tell me who he is? Do you know who I am? That's my man, Uncle Eddie. Dude. Uncle Eddie. Eddie. Yes. That's, right. Eddie. Woo. That's right. Absolutely. Yes, nice job. Do you know who he is? Santa? <laughs> I know him. I know him. Wow, two for two. So, who are your guys' favorite Christmas characters? Comet. Comet? Okay, Comet. that's pretty good. Okay. I, uh, yeah. This Jesus. guy's buddy. Jesus. <laughs> that's a good. Yeah. That's, that's pretty good. Because you didn't say it's that. Spiritual guy. Yeah, right. so, it's a trick. It's a trick. Well, Merry Christmas, you guys. It's so good to see you. Have a great day, guys. Love you guys so much. Love you guys. Merry Christmas. Thank you so much. All the best. Another one down. Well, greetings, church, and uh, good to be with you, and uh, so fun to have a chance to visit some of you with these food deliveries. Thank you, Josh, for your uh, partnership in that. And uh, excited to be in God's Word this week, continuing in our study through the book of John. And uh, wondering, just as I start, I gave this uh, section a title, wonder how many of you have heard before, or used the expression before, mud in your eye. It's often a, a term or expression that's used that's a show, associated with somebody's inability to see. They, they can't see, they've got 
mud in their eye. It actually comes, it originates, I was reading uh, just this week, it originates back from horse racing. It was an expression that was used by the winner referring to the loser having mud in their eye because if you're riding behind the front horse, most likely you ended up with some degree of mud in your eye. And thinking about that, that's usually associated with a, a negative thing. What I love about Jesus in the study of his word is he always takes things and completely flips the script. He takes what we maybe associate as a bad thing or as a negative, and he's like, you know what? I can, I can do something cool with this. I can do something. I can redirect this. And so this is a passage of redirect where our God, with impre- an impressive fashion, demonstrates his power. It's on full display through the healing of a blind man. Let me pray before we explore the text. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for our continued ability to uh, gather around your word, even online. And we're so grateful for the chance to do this here today. We believe that you have something for us when we open these pages. And so we ask that you'd speak to us directly. You'd meet us exactly where we need to be met here in this time, God. The encouragement that some might need, the uh, challenge that others might need, God. And for all of us, we'd love to just get to know you better. And that's what I love about this section of scripture is it exposes your character and what you're about. And so we invite you to speak to us now in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Well, starting off in chapter nine, we're going to actually go through the whole chapter just because it's one story. But just as in form of reminder, there's a purpose behind this entire book, the reason John wrote it, he captures, explains to us in chapter 20, verse 31, he says it was written so that you, you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. In other words, there's intention behind it. It's giving an account of story or miracle or sign after sign with the intent of convincing us that Jesus is who he claims to be, the Christ, God in the flesh. So we're about to see the sixth sign miracle outlined in the book. And so here we begin in chapter nine, verse one. It says, as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with mud and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. All right, so just to capture, there's a lot that just transpired there in just a a few verses. Basically what's happening is we're coming on the other side of this conversation last week that Jesus was having with these quote unquote believers, helping them to understand what genuine saving faith looks like. 
So he's coming out of the temple where people were having a hard time seeing what he was trying to say. And now he's, he's coming to the most likely the temple gates. That's where uh, cripples and people that were struggling with any kind of ailments would most likely gather to beg kind of the most public area they could find. He's walking by and he's crossing paths with a man that suffered from blindness since he was born. It's interesting to see his disciples, and we don't know if they said this within earshot or not. I hope they were a little more, more subtle than it appears, but ask a, a simple question as they see this man. They ask this question, why? Why is he like that? Is it because of this man, uh, because of the man that sinned or his parents? Think about that. This man has been living in this existence. First off, I want to think about what that would be like. Imagine a life where all the way from birth, all you ever experienced was darkness. No glimpse of your mom's face, no glimpse of a sunrise, no glimpse of anything. You can't, there, there's no experience with his eyes up until this point. Probably a pretty lonely, difficult, miserable existence. And so because of that, what's assumed is that this man is definitely cursed. There's something either his sin or his parents' sin that landed him in this position. So they asked that question. It's fascinating though, because so often those are the same conclusions that we can come to is that if there's something going wrong in someone's life, that they must have done something wrong or some kind of a poor decision. But what Jesus explains is it doesn't always work like that. That's not always the case. That's not always what lands us there. In that day and time, they had this misunderstanding even to a further degree when they said, was it sin from birth? If he's uh, blinded from birth, it must have been sin. Uh, what would that even be? Prenatal sin? You think about that. What was caused them to think that they were actually heavily influenced by neighboring nations that believed in reincarnation and some of your decisions from your past carried into the present. So a lot of mixed up views, even which to me when I was researching this this week, what I thought was fascinating was the absurd idea that this Pharisaic idea that suggested a baby who kicked in the womb failed to honor their mother and father, and so was guilty of sin. And so guilty baby, right? This idea that that would be the outcome of choices in the womb. Either way, Jesus is trying, they only give him two options. He's like, I'll, I'll go with option number three. Option number three of what Jesus proposes is that sickness and disease are not all always directly connected to personal sin. Often, God has a purpose behind them. In this case, what do we see? The purpose is to bring glory to God. In other words, God uses some of the fallen things. God, God didn't intend his design, didn't include death. It didn't include disease, but he uses some of the things that are on the other side of the fall of man to say, I can use this ultimately for my glory. And sometimes his glory is evidence in the transformation that happens inside of us. When I was a college pastor back in Chicago, there was a young man that was on a missions trip. I wasn't on the trip, but he, on this missions trip, was messing around with some friends and tried to do, he'd done it before, tried to do a backflip standing on the ground and misjumped, landed on his neck and was paralyzed 
from the neck down. Spent a lot of months and time spent with this young man, just helping him process through. And one of the things I was really careful not to do was try to make suggestions as to why. That's one of the things that I still, even from our Job series, remember that's the danger in Christian circles is people that want to try to suggest why, when the reality is we have no idea why. We have no idea God's plan and what he's doing. It's been fun to watch, even from a distance, some of the things that's happened in this young man's life. I, I read a while back, I saw this, this thing on Facebook. Oh, he's engaged now. He, uh, he, he connected with his caregiver and they ended up get, getting married. And uh, he ended up going on to law school and is now practicing law. And I'm like, man, God's doing a work and through all of it, he keeps trying to give glory to God. It's pretty fun to watch how God's taken something seemingly miserable and been an opportunity for God's glory. I love that he tries to move the conversation though fairly quickly. If you think of Jesus' response, instead of talking about the why and the how, he's saying it's, it's to display God's uh, display God through him. But then he moves on to verse four. You see it there. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. In other words, not trying to get caught up in the past and the wise, trying to look forward as to, okay, how are we going to maximize? How are we going to care for this person that's in front of us? Stop seeing the person as a form of debate and start seeing him as a person to help. He points out to their limited time when he refers to the night is coming. In other words, the urgency is here. Then Jesus, who claims to be the light, it's a pretty awesome picture that he connects chapter eight and chapter nine. He claimed to be the light of the world. And now he demonstrates it, providing this man with sight. It's kind of cool how he does it. I alluded to it at the beginning of the message. Kind of gross if you really stop and think about it. Who actually spits? Can you imagine spitting in the dirt forming a little mud loogie combo there and then wiping it in a stranger's eye. I mean, that would make some seriously good video footage there capturing what that would have been like, what that experience was like. But that's what Jesus does because you know what? When you're God, you can do those things. A lot of people are like, well, why did he do the mud? Again, back to the trying to read into why God does things. The wonderful answer is, I don't know. Some have suggested that it was part of the idea that God made man from what? Made him from dirt. This wasn't trying to correct a vision issue. This was giving a man that most likely didn't even have eyes, providing eyes in this place. It's kind of interesting. Some also suggest that he comes often uses these random different ways. And a number of different times he ends up using spit in his healings. But these different random ways, a lot of theologians would suggest that he alters them specifically for the person, specifically for this person, realizing that it was intended to seem foolish. It's pretty messy and dirty, and it demanded faith in response. It required active belief and participation. He says, okay, I'm going to rub this dirt in your eyes, and then I'm going to send you to the pool of Siloam. It's doing a little bit of a, a research on this. Basically, the only natural source of water uh, outside of Israel was called the Gihon Spring, which is in the Kidron Valley. And a number of years back, when King uh, 
Hezekiah was king, he recognized that this, the having water outside of the city left the city vulnerable to siege. So he built this huge, cool tunnel system. And it was kind of fun to read about that. I learned about it in Israel when I was there as well, building two, having two different groups, one starting at one end and one starting at the other and hoping that their two tunnels collided. And it actually did. And it collided and where it collided was in uh, the pool of Siloam, which is actually word meaning we're told there in the text means sent. So basically it's cool to think that this man was sent to the pool called sent by the one who was sent to rescue. Kind of a, a cool picture, a lot of sense in there, but either way he arrives and what does it tell us happens when he dips into the water? What does it say that happens? It says, he came back seeing. Now it's easy for us to just, oh yeah, there's another miracle and realize this is the first time in human history that somebody with no sight was given sight. What would it be like to live an entire existence in blackness and now be exposed to the light? How would, the, how would your, your mind adjust to that? It's reading a story of uh, Bill Cosby, kind of before he did all of his dumb stuff, was staying in a hotel room, which was right next to Ray Charles. He had never met him before, so he decided to go over and introduce himself. He knocks on the door and gets invited to come in, but he comes in and it's a pitch black room, he explains. And so in that, it was kind of strange. He heard the sound of someone using an electric razor, shaving. He's like, this is weird. So Bill Cosby, I picture this scene, says, hey, Ray, why are you shaving in the dark? Ray's response, I do everything in the dark. This idea that he had lived a life being blind. And so what would that be like to finally have the light switch turned on? Imagine all of the firsts all the first time seeing the different, being exposed to all the things that this world has to offer, I would say that that person would have an amplified response to most of us, a lot of things that we take for granted with our own eyes. Look at how they respond in verse eight. It says, the neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, it is he. Others said, no, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, then how were your eyes opened? He answered, I love this response. The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Salome and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He says, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him? Since he has opened your eyes, he said, he is a prophet. We'll stop there. I think of this title. I titled it a pretty clear testimony there. 
I liked how John MacArthur actually titled this section. He called it, Unbelief Investigates a Miracle with Expected Results. Unbelief Investigates a Miracle with Expected Results. In other words, the religious leaders are scrambling to try to make sense out of something that they didn't really want to make sense out of. They didn't want to see what had actually happened. First, there's some disagreement you see there in the text as to, I don't know, is this the man? I'm not sure. And the guy, I just picture him there like, it's me, guys. It's me. Hey, hey, look at me. And here is, is it? They start asking him questions, and I love his response. It's just as simple. He's like, I don't know. He explains it twice. He put mud on my eyes. He anointed my eyes. I went and washed it, and I don't know. Now I can see. Love that as a reminder to us. So often we get so bogged down with making sure we remember the right words if we're sharing about Jesus Christ with something else. And the simple answer is just tell your story. Tell what happened and see what God can do through that. Find it comical that they ask him this question. What do they say? Well, where is he? kind of like asking directions to somebody that's been blind their entire life. He's kind of like, why would you ask me for directions or where to find somebody? Obviously, I just got my sight. They seem upset. Why does it say in the text, what do you think is the reason they're worked up? It's described there pretty clearly. They're worked up because the same issue, we've seen it earlier in the, the book, the same issue, Jesus healed again on the... Sabbath, right? Man, they can't get over this Sabbath thing. And I find it interesting, I was doing a little research on this, in seven different miracles in the gospel, Jesus intentionally does on the Sabbath. You think about that, you think there may have been some degree of the, I referred to it last time, the neener in there, like, hey guys, hey guys, I did it again on the Sabbath because you're confused about the Sabbath. I want you to let go of that idea. And so he's correcting at the same time the man-made rules versus the God-made rules. He's like, man, you've added so much to God's word and it's left you in a vulnerable spot. He's picking a fight. He wants to reveal the position they held needs to be adjusted and reinvented. This created a dilemma for the Pharisees because giving sight to the blind was a clear evidence of the Messiah. In fact, in Isaiah, they talk specifically about that being one of the things that the Messiah would do. But how could the Messiah also break the Sabbath? So they asked the man that had been healed, who do you say that he is? His response is, he's he's a prophet. Basically, the religious leaders aren't willing to embrace any of the facts here. They're not willing to embrace. They're still ignoring the testimony. We still see that today. Some people, doesn't matter how many facts are in front of them, they're going to resist it. Look at verse 18. It says, the Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had had received sight and asked them, is this your son? who you say was born blind, how then does he now see? His parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age. He will speak for himself. Verse 22, his parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. 
Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So we'll recapture what's happening there. Basically, first off, you see right out of the gates, it says they did not believe. So as I was saying, this idea that it doesn't matter to some people how many testimonies, how many things are brought before them, it's, they're, they're already convinced in their mind of something. That drives me crazy probably more than anything else. We had a situation a couple of weeks back where I get my, my wife and I get this text saying that my son missed a second period class that day. It's a, a, a PE class, a gym class. And pretty much my son who's in high school at Agora High uh, that's what he does. He sits in front of the screen all day, the Zoom stuff, and he doesn't really go anywhere. And we're like, I'm pretty sure he didn't miss the class. So we asked him, we're like, hey, were you there? And he's like, yeah, we did this, we did this, we did this. I did this exercise, I did this. He knew every single step of what happened in that class. Tried to reach out to the teacher and explain, hey, he can tell you exactly what he did. And the teacher's like, nope, he wasn't there. We're like, uh, he was and he, he did this, this, and this. And he's like, no, he wasn't there. And we're like, okay, well, we're not really sure what to do with this impasse. And then it happened again this week, a second time. And so we're still a, a, a stumble. So if you know that teacher, make sure to uh, bail Chase out. But basically here, this idea is the idea of the story needed to be verified in another way. It, the personal testimony wasn't getting them. So what do you see that they did? They were like, well, we know what to do. Ask the parents. We'll check in with mom and dad. Has your son been blind from birth? They're like, yep, that's him. Is he been healed? Yep, now he can see. And then the part that they get a little bit uh, kind of nervous about or anxious about is how to respond to the how. And how they respond to the how is what? We do not know. They verify the details but they can't explain who did it or how it happened. They wanted to stay neutral in this situation. Now, they're not quite real willing to announce. Their son had already clearly announced that it was this man named Jesus. So I'm sure they probably heard that as well, but they realized what was at stake there and was what was at stake there was their reputation being a part of the synagogue, part of the system, part of the uh, inner club, if you will. And so because of that, they say, hey, he's of age, you ask him, keep us out of it. Sometimes that's the case still today. People that are not quite willing to stand up and be vocal about Jesus Christ because, they're count the because they count the cost. They weigh it and consider, hey, is this worth the risk of speaking up? And unfortunately, so many remain as secret agent quasi-Christians. They feared the spiritual bullies more than they feared God himself. So the second time, verse 24, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, this is round two, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. Love that. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them. This is actually the third time. He says, I have told you already and you would not listen. What do you, why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? Ooh, zinger, I like that. 
And they reveled him, saying, you are, the, uh, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. <laughs> That's going to get them pretty far. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, I love this. Why this is, ama- why? This is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. Pretty powerful, right? First thing that you might catch is the first thing that when they start the second time standing before him, they say this, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. Like, wait a second, glorify God and reject Jesus. You're like, wait a second, it doesn't really work like that. They've got mud in their eyes. It can't work like that because Jesus is God's provision. He's explaining to them this, that they're trying to convince him like, oh, give God glory, but make sure that you reject Jesus. You're like, how is it? This is the man that just healed me. How can I do that? I think that is so common in our culture where people are bold enough to engage and bring up the word God and thank God for doing this or thank God. But man, you never, it's so rare that you hear anybody talk about Jesus Christ because there's a certain boldness and confidence that comes when you acknowledge his name in the mix. The story though hasn't changed. He asked them, they ask him again, what's happened? And I love that he's got a little bit of edge to him. Do you catch that too? Do I need to repeat it again? In other words, are you like slow of learning? Like what's going on? How many times do I have to say it? Do I need to repeat it? He has a little edge to him. And in this, he's already, you can tell, worked through it logically. Listen again to his words in 30. He says, the man answered, why? This is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from. And yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. If anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began was it, has it been heard that anyone opened their eyes of a, bl- of a man born blind. In other words, in summer, he's making the, the, the common sense. He's trying to explain to them that, hey, this has never, ever happened in the history of mankind. If this man was a sinner, uh, we've already, we're already convinced that God doesn't listen to sin and this could only be from God. He's trying to help them connect the dots. But it doesn't matter how logical of a presentation it is because so often it's a heart issue. That's what remains. There's there's a a covering, there's a blindness. It's not just a physical blindness. Here we're seeing directly spiritual blindness. They ask in in response to his logical presentation, how do they respond? They say, you're born in utter sin. What in the world? What are you talking about? I'm just trying to tell you what happened here then you get a little sense of their, their arrogance. Would you teach us? I think that's the crux of the issue. Once somebody thinks that they have things figured out, they've got it all solved, man, it is hard to break down those walls. It's like a, a physical 
object that's getting in their way. So it says that they ended up casting him out. Can you imagine that? This guy that's been blind his entire life, he finally sees in his first day of seeing people, he's standing before this court system and they're like, well, fine, you won't be in our club. He's kind of like, well, I've never been in your club anyway. I'm actually okay with that. I'm, I'm okay with skipping out on that membership. And so I love to see Jesus' response in verse 35. Jesus heard that they had cast him out and having found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? He answered, and, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have seen him and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment, I came into the world that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. Man, the wisdom in Jesus' words. First thing that I love in this story is even though the world had cast him out. Who do we see coming and pulling him out of the nobody club? Jesus. He's like, man, I, I heard that you were on the outs with these guys. Well, let me make sure you're on the in with me. He finds him. He seeks him out. That's what our God does. That's the story of the gospel right there. He finds outcasts and provides hope. He doesn't want to just offer physical healing either. He's trying to now not just deal with his physical sight. Now he's wanting to deal with his spiritual sight. I realize so often that, too, uh, that we settle for social justice efforts with no real, nothing really addressing heart issues. We started our homeless outreach, outreach partnership in the community. One of the things that made me sad is I found out, I was like, hey, when they all gather and we do meals together, we do some kind of a Bible study, right? Or tell them about Jesus or introduce them. And they're like, no. We don't really do that. And I'm like, well, when ABF does it, we're going to do it. And they're like, uh, I don't know if that's okay. I'm like, yeah, I'm pretty sure it's okay. And we introduced that. And so we're one of the only churches in the, the region that makes sure that they capitalize on that time where something's being provided for somebody physically, but you're also addressing spiritual related issues. We make sure that that's crystal clear. And that's what Jesus is doing. He asks them the most important question. Ask him what everything hinges on. Do you believe in the son of man? In other words, do you believe the son of man is an is a expression. It's actually a, a term that's used 80 times in the gospels referring to Jesus or the Messiah. Do you believe in the coming Messiah? He's like, well, where do I find him? I love it. This guy's got brand new eyes. He's just like, just, just point me where. I, I don't know where he's at, but... Sign me up. I, I'm in. And I love that Jesus, he's like, oh, what your, what your heart has been longing for, you're looking at him right now. Think about this for a moment. When he left, when he was sent away with mud in his eye, when he was sent away, he didn't get a chance to see Jesus. Now his eyes fall upon his rescue. And Jesus kindly reveals himself to him and he embraces Look, look at his response. He says, Lord, I believe. 
that title Lord says something. He says, I, that, that's acknowledging who he is, that he's not just a man. He is God in the flesh. I love seeing his response. In complete simplicity and sincerity, he puts his trust in Jesus and begins to worship him, begins to worship him. There's, a, there's no convincing. There's no long debate. He's like, man, I, what I know is where I was at and now where I am now, I can see. And that has changed everything. Think about this account just as we wrap up. As the, as the uh, religious leaders are trying to make sense out of, they're like uh, kind of taunting Jesus. Am I, are we also blind? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. In other words, if you didn't get it, you'd be without, with, you'd be without guilt because I'd just share the truth with you like I did with this man. But since you claim to know, that's where you're guilty. You claim to know, but you don't know. Here he corrects that and we see the most beautiful picture of the gospel message. God reaches out to a blind, helpless beggar. He prompts him towards simple faith, leading him to cleansing water, and he returns completely restored. That's what it's about. That's the gospel message. We're the beggar in the story. We're, we're the one that had no hope. We couldn't see. We couldn't do anything about our predicament. All we could do is beg. And Jesus intervened. He intervened. And by simple faith, by act of obedience, we respond to him and his invite to living water that changed everything for this man, not just in this life, but in the life to come. My hope and prayer for us going into this Christmas season is that we wouldn't miss it either, that it wouldn't sneak by, that it wouldn't be something that we're blinded to where we think we've got it all figured out, but maybe even this season would be a fresh new time of worship that we come before you. Lord, we praise you. We acknowledge you. We worship you. And when that help happens, man, you can't help but tell others about it. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this chance to be in your word. We thank you for this chance now to worship. And as this song's about to say, we want to tell it from the mountaintops. We want to tell of your goodness, your faithfulness. We've seen on display in so many ways in our life. We praise you now in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Get those hands clapping. Come on.
Well, this is the fourth week of our Advent, and uh, today is the, uh, the fourth candle, which is the peace candle. And uh, just a reminder that we're celebrating not just any birth, but uh, the birth of the Prince of Peace, uh, the, the birth of the Savior of the world, the Savior that brings peace, a peace that is promised to us all. Isaiah 9, 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Philippians 4, 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Luke 2, 13-14 And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Well, thanks so much, Kerner family. I love having different staff families up here for that. Pray you have an amazing week leading up to Christmas. Be watching out for us, getting our next video for Christmas Eve in your hands, hopefully Christmas Eve day. God bless you. Have a great week.